We're continuing through the book of Acts. If you could uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles on your chairs. It's page, I believe, 606. The print is real small on those, so uh, I feel like we can be on a page for weeks. <laughs> um, well, as we get to the movement toward the end of the book of Acts, it's a lot of Paul before people. And it's Paul uh, being questioned before people as he's arrested and he moves to other people. Um, So the way we'll move through the next few weeks is just taking some larger chunks. Uh, And this morning, what we're going to look at in Acts 22 is uh, Luke's report of Paul giving his testimony. Uh, If you've read the book of Acts before, you might know that... um, Paul gives his testimony in Acts 9, and then here it is again uh, in front of a crowd, and then he also gives it in chapter 26. Uh, Luke is an author, or Luke is the author of the book of Acts along with the gospel of Luke, and he's a historian, so he pays attention to detail. What's interesting is uh, if you and I are writing something, uh, you know, a, a few thousand word story to someone. And in that story, we include the same little story three times. Uh, the teacher is going to say, uh, just leave a couple of these out. It's repetitive. But for some reason, it is significant for us to hear Paul's conversion story three times as readers of this book of Acts. Paul has just completed his three missionary journeys. As we looked at last week, he came to Jerusalem to give an offering uh, collected from Gentile Christian churches in the area, and he wants to give it to uh, the Jerusalem, uh, to the Jewish Christians at the Jerusalem church. And he goes there, and he's questioned, and he's distracted from giving this gift. Um. But he is there, and in, as he is giving, trying to give this gift and reporting what's going on, he's questioned further. He's sent to go pay for some uh, four men to get to fulfill their Nazarite vows. And so he does that, and he has to go purify himself and cleanse himself. And then he is um, contained, and finally as he's let loose, that is where we get right now, where he is, he does not, he's not freed, but he's to a place where he says, can I speak to the people? Can I just say something? And what he does simply is he follows this outline of giving his personal testimony, his encounter with uh, the risen Lord Jesus, his commission, and then the vision he receives in the temple. He begins his speech Uh, Chapter 22, verse 1, he begins it with the words, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. What's so interesting about this is if you go back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, uh, this is uh, how Stephen begins his speech before he's stoned. He says, Brothers and fathers. Uh, Paul is doing that same thing. And if you remember that story, Paul, who was called Saul then, was present and approved of the stoning of Stephen. So here, Paul is years and years later on the other side, knowing that he's the one being questioned. He's the one that his life is ending soon. But he was present there 
when Stephen was stoned. And it would be expected that many of these people were present when Stephen was stoned and they knew Saul. Now, years later, Paul, Saul, is reporting, and they probably remember, what has happened to this man? What has happened to him that he's on the complete other side of the stoning, of the persecution? As Paul begins his message, he begins with uh, simply who he is, his identity, what he values, what makes him feel important. He says he's a Jew, he's brought up and educated uh, by a very prominent rabbi, uh, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. His identity, his upbringing, his education, his zeal, he's saying, I was significant. He's saying, I was significant just like you. And he lived a life that uh, the Jews would probably look at him and say, hey, that's the man to be like. Look at his zeal. Look at how he persecutes the Christians. He would be the one to listen to. He'd be the one to model your life after. And so he's telling the crowd this. And so the crowd is listening and hearing, this man is educated. He has a background, his identity. He knows what he values. He is a significant person in himself. And then he, address, he brings up his zeal for God. He says, I persecuted this way, which was the early term for those believers or those who were faithful to the teachings of Jesus. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. His zeal was something to be modeled. But Paul is recounting his sin in here, but some, people, some of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, would hear this and say, that's right. He was the man. He was righteous because he followed the law. He did what we asked of him. But Paul, understanding what real righteousness is, he's admitting his sin and he's saying, I was killing people. I was slaughtering them. Men and women, I didn't even care. So he's openly declaring his own sin to this hostile crowd. Then Paul says, if you don't believe his words, what a, of what a terrible, sinful, evil person he was, he says, listen to the leaders and they will vouch for me. Verse 5, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. If you don't believe me, this is what he's saying, if you don't believe me that I've done some horrible things, ask those people over there and they will tell you which is drastically different from a man as he begins his message and he says, uh, I did all these righteous things. I was right. You see that his, his goal is self-righteousness. But early on in his speech, he's saying, it doesn't work. 
And so if you want to know how bad I am, ask these people. Paul's building the case that the law, did following the law, did not make him an honorable man. Following the law did not make him more gracious. Following the law did not make him more loving. Following the law actually drove him away from God. There are two ways to rebel against God. Uh, Breaking all of the laws, which we can understand that in just open rebellion. That is a way that you uh, move away from God. Another way to rebel against God is keeping all of his laws. And keeping all of his laws in a way that you say, I really don't need a redeemer. I'm okay. Flannery O'Connor wrote that the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. And that's the second one. If you keep the law, if you are very strict and moral, there's really no need for Jesus. There's no need in your own mind for atonement, for forgiveness, for repentance. And I think as if you're here and you're a Christian, this is a little bit more of our tendency to begin to rely on our own morality and think that because we make good choices that we really don't need Jesus as much. But we need him when we're openly rebellious. We've done horrible things. That's when we need Jesus. But then when we're doing things right, we really don't need him. Really, it's a misunderstanding of the law, and it's a misunderstanding of uh, the holistic redemption that we have in Jesus. So far in this address, Paul is emphasizing how his upbringing and education would have been enough. That he grew up in a moral, religious home that should have been enough. And his zeal should have made him honorable and well-respected. And then he emphasizes his sinful acts of destruction and persecution of the early church. It was not more passion that Paul needed. It was not more zeal. It was not more detail of the law. He needed something else. He needed something beyond him. He needed what uh, Martin Luther calls alien righteousness. Um, uh, when, when, we, when you and I do things that we know are good and we've made a good decision, a morally correct decision, many times we have this feeling of just self-righteousness. Now it's small because we're humble, but it, you know it's there. And, we, and then we see other people who aren't making these good moral choices. We're, we're living um, not according to redemption. We're living in a, with a whole different economy of what is valuable. What we need is this alien righteousness, righteousness that is outside of us to enter. And this is Jesus' righteousness, uh, which is, it's not telling people like you could have, like Paul could have told the crowd, uh, you just need to be more zealous. You just need to work harder. Be a better person. 
But Paul has been transformed, and he realizes that his righteousness are but filthy rags in front of a righteous God. He realizes he needs something drastically different than just more adherence or obedience to the law. Let me read the details of his conversion on the Damascus Road. Uh, Acts 22, beginning of verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And once I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led away by the hand by by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me standing by me and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said to me, The God of your fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of which you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's a fairly dramatic story. Uh, When you and I think of uh, our own conversion, our own, uh, maybe for some of you, it's just a slow understanding of what Jesus has done, and you see God's Spirit working in you, it's probably not this dramatic. But for Paul, in his story, it was dramatic. Paul was confronted with his sin by a flash of bright light and Jesus calling him. And Jesus called on Paul's, on Paul's life was dramatic. We know this from the story of the book of Acts of Paul continually going and proclaiming the gospel. That there's only redemption in Jesus. Nowhere else. Not in your own righteousness. That's what Paul emphasizes as he tells this. But the other thing that is emphasized here is Ananias. How utterly scared would you be to be Ananias in front of Paul, who was killed and imprisoned? He has killed and imprisoned many of your friends and loved ones and those in your community. God uses Ananias to give Paul his mission. God could have continued to talk to Paul. God could have continued this uh, speaking to him and just told him what to do, but God in his grace uses Ananias. And Ananias is a faithful witness. One theme of Paul's speech is righteousness. He talks about his own righteousness, his upbringing and his zeal, 
And then in Ananias' words in verse 14, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. There is only one righteous. And this is the force of his message. There is no righteousness except the righteousness of Jesus. Paul in Romans 10, he writes about his love for his brothers, his love for the Jews. And he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus is the righteous one. Paul's giving the same message to um, uh, the crowd here, the same message that he gives the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, your righteousness does not come from yourself. You have to understand an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is beyond you. This is simple, but really it's amazingly hard. Because our tendency as human beings is to uh, earn our place. To build a foundation of uh, righteousness and morality and good works. We tend to think as long as we are obedient, that we're okay. And the, 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 the hard and destructive thing about this is that then this is the gospel that you and I begin to believe. That if we are more obedient to God, then God loves us more. That when we sin, that God loves us less. And the root of that is your self-righteousness. You and I thinking that if I do really good things, then I'm going to earn things. And if I do bad things, I'll be disciplined and punished. And so we functionally could, or we, uh, when we talk about the gospel, we can use all the right words, but then functionally, the way that we live, we're always moving toward another economy for relating to God. Because grace somehow is just so confusing. And grace humbles us. And that's uncomfortable. But there's a joy in being at the bottom and realizing that you are a child of God, not because you are doing things right. You are a child of God because God in his grace has extended his love toward you and has embraced you and called you and moved you to himself and so that you can be called a child of God. And so when you and I do things that are, maybe we've made a really good decision, we can say, that's Jesus working in me. When we do things that are sinful and we repent of that, that's also Jesus working in us when we repent of that. And it's the Spirit of God reminding us that we're His. Not because we do things right but because God is that abundantly gracious. And that is so hard for us to understand. And that's why it's a great thing to look at Saul's story 
and to see that if God can, re- can redeem Saul, he can do that in your life. He can do the same thing. You are not a lost cause. You are not to be known by the worst decision you've ever made. But what we see in Paul's life, which to me is so encouraging, is Paul is able to publicly say, look at what an idiot I was. And he's able to acknowledge his own sin, his own self-righteousness, his own murdering of people. And he publicly says this. And in his message, he's saying, don't be like me. It's Jesus that's changed me. But in our story, we have this tendency towards self-righteousness, that we've earned something. And here's a great reason to figure out how far you are down that spectrum. If you don't feel like your life is blessed, if you feel angry at God because you've made uh, some kind of bargain with him in your mind that if you serve him in this way, then he's going to be this to you, and you get angry, disappointed, you're not believing the gospel. You're believing and you're relying on your own self-righteousness. And what you and I are called to do is believe the gospel. That means that Jesus is the righteous one. And God walks with us through suffering and hard times and trials. But it's not this deal we think we can make with God on our own terms and think God's going to adhere to it and say, you know what, that's a really good idea. This is the deal that God has made. Jesus, sinless, perfect, suffered, died for you. For you, while you were still in your sin. And he calls you and he embraces you as his child. And he says, you are mine. That's the deal that God has made. It's not based on your own righteousness. And so what Paul does is he as he is transformed, as he's telling the story, he tells them, uh, in my simple words, what Paul does after he's transformed, he walks in obedience. He, he walks in obedience because he knows at a deep level what he has received from a gracious God. You might wonder why we don't see more transformations like Paul's. We don't hear these stories real often. Maybe it's because we want to see people clean up a little bit before they come to us. Maybe because we really are letting out our own, uh, our own gospel of, you just need to show us some good righteous works and some morality, and then I'm going to embrace you in community. And then I'll have you over for dinner. And then I'll communicate with you, and then I'll share my life with you. Once you do that, then I'll do that. Or maybe we don't have the boldness that is present in Ananias to know that God is calling you to do something and you go and do it. 
Or maybe it's because we use the correct words of grace and Christian talk. But internally, the gospel we believe is not the message of Jesus found in the Bible. Maybe it is that we have more reliance on our own righteousness than we really care to admit. I will admit to you that I do. We operate the way that Paul explains his previous life of attaining and having good works. And then when our life does not turn out the way we want, we get frustrated and disappointed. And we get angry at God. And the core of that is that we really don't understand grace. I really believe the more I interact with people, and I say this about myself also, uh, our struggles in faith, our struggles even in obedience and walking with Jesus on a daily basis are all having to do with what we really believe. Do you believe that God is that gracious? Do you believe that God is that gracious that he calls a man like Saul who was slaughtering his people? And God says, I'm going to call you as my own, and you actually are going to be a missionary And you are going to go proclaim the great work of Jesus. That's what you're going to do. As we come to communion this morning, I want to take a moment. I'll pray, and then I just want to take a moment where you can bow your heads and pray and uh, just process through uh, what God is teaching you at this moment. And also, when you have this time in prayer, prepare your heart to come and receive this meal. And as we come and receive of this meal, we're coming, and what we're doing is we're shedding any kind of righteousness that we feel like will, will bring approval of a holy God. And we're repenting of it, and we're letting it go. And we're coming open-handed to be nourished and fed by a God who loves you. So let's take a moment to quietly prepare, and then I'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you continually work within your people. We thank you that your spirit convicts us of sin and convinces us of the great work of Jesus. And we pray this morning as we come that we would be nourished by this meal. We'd be reminded of the blessings that we have in redemption and forgiveness and new life. And we pray in that, that you would uh, draw us to believe what is true in your word and the true promises you give. And we would rest from trying to attain things in life. And we would rest in the goodness of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.